Mac Power Users, Episode 600, Mac Migration and Settings. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. 600 today, Stephen. It is. 600. It's a nice round number. Yeah, it is. It seems like just yesterday you and I were in uh in illinois doing episode 500 i know such a long time ago yeah a lot a lot of water has gone under the bridge since that show it's true what happened um but either way 600 we're not going to make a big deal about it but hey 600 that's not bad not bad for a couple nerds no not at all uh you know 600 also gang uh for those of you that write occasionally ask i recently talked to katie floyd she's doing great good she's doing good yeah good Anyway, um, today we're talking about the new Mac smell. Yeah, we're in this season of change for the Mac, so we're going to talk about when you get a new Mac, what to do, set up and transfer and all of that stuff. And uh, on more power users for members, we're, uh, we're going to be talking about the lightning connector and kind of the debate around if it's time for Apple to move on from that. So a little Mac or a lot of Mac, I should say, and some uh, iPhone and iPad stuff for members. It'll be a a fun time today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are buying new Macs right now because this extraordinary transition, which keeps coming up on our show about Apple making the Mac just so much better now. And the, you know, starting with the M one, and then we're going to get, I guess the M one X at some point in the next, two or three months, hopefully, which is going to be the pro version. And there's already rumors of an M2 next year. So um, people on Intel machines, um, I know there's a lot of folks out there looking at these new machines coming out, thinking, you know, when they're going to make the jump. And I just feel like there's a lot of our listeners are going to be transitioning Macs that they haven't already, or they're about to. And we've done shows in the distant past about making the transition, but a lot of, a lot has changed. And um, we've got really quite a full outline today <laughs> looking at it. So I guess we should just get started. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you get that new Mac and you unwrap it and you have that joyous occasion, which is a lot of fun, let's just say. New toys are fun. Yeah. An option you have is to migrate all of your information or start fresh. And so I kind of want to talk about uh, what makes sense in what situation yeah uh migration is something i think a lot of people are not aware of and this has been in the apple ecosystem i don't know is it 20 years now i mean it seems like it it's been here forever it's been a a long time (laughs) yeah it's something and it's something that apple has definitely worked on over the years early days it wasn't all that great but they've really you know they've put the time and effort into it over the years and um, and now you can very easily just plug a new Mac into an old Mac or a new Mac into a time machine backup and just have it, you know, rebuild your Mac for you based on the old setup. Yeah. And when you do that and we'll get into it, you have a lot of control. So if you don't want to necessarily bring everything over, but you want to just bring some files or, or some settings, uh, that's pretty easy to do. Apple has really made this tool really fantastic over the years. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if you don't want to have to like go on the web and find all the apps that you had installed, or like another big issue, and we're going to talk about it later in this outline, is just like kind of getting it set up the way you want it, you know, with the fonts you use or the system settings. Like that stuff gets transitioned over with this migration, whereas if you build from scratch, you've got to got to redo all that stuff. So there's a lot of good reasons to do migration. Yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about some of the the pros of migration. So obviously the big one is you're not spending a lot of time rebuilding your computer, right? You can yeah. have a little downtime as the two computers move data between them. And then when you boot up that new Apple Silicon Mac or whatever it may be, your stuff is there ready to go. And you're not uh, having to spend a lot of time. And if you're like me, it takes a couple of weeks to like finally uh, realize like, oh, I'm missing this and that. Yeah. Uh, but well, you're the, doing good at a couple of weeks. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it can be nice to have a clean start, right? It, sometimes it's nice to have that fresh slate to begin with. Yeah. A lot of times if you've got a machine you've been running a long time, like my wife had a machine she was running for 10 years. It was a MacBook Pro and it was getting really creaky. And I think there were software issues with it. And I tried to do a migration assistant for her and it failed. And that's the first time I've seen one fail in a long time. But, you know, in hindsight, it was probably a dumb idea to try and do it with a machine that old. Um And the other thing that I think about, and I know that Apple's kind of accounted for this, but like the recent, you know, as I bought a new Mac recently, I did not do a migration because there's part of me that feels um, superstitious, I guess. Like I have all this Intel software and I just want the M1 versions of this stuff. And the way these apps run, these installers work now is they look at your processor and they install the app based on what the processor you have is that Apple's done this very smart. I'm sure migration accounts for this, but part of me just wanted just a really clean install mm-hmm. with just Apple Silicon software on this machine. So um, I, I tend to lean, to be honest with you, I tend to lean clean install. I know that's that takes a lot of time and it's probably dumb, but there's just part of me that likes that idea a lot. No, I, I get it. And, and I'm on the other end. I, I tend to lean towards migration. Uh, there is a, a factor to consider is that if you're having software issues on the old machine, it is possible to bring those over. Now, it's not very likely, especially now in the days where the system is like encrypted on its own volume. Yeah. So you can't, yeah. uh, <laughs> you can't. You're not even bringing over those parts probably. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there is a possibility to say that you have a preference file for like an app like Mail or something that has gotten wonky and then that does get copied over and then your problem in mail follows you again it's not super common but it's not impossible either but i wouldn't let that scare you off of a migration by any means yeah no i agree i agree and like i said even for my wife and kids i run migration every time because if i gave them a clean mac and just said okay install your software they would be insane because like the whole I mean, the whole process of building from scratch means you've got to go find your apps and redo your settings and the fonts that you liked aren't there. And all that stuff is just, you're starting from zero. And people who are not crazy like me are not going to appreciate having to do that. For sure. I was, I was trying to think back about how long my chain of migrations is. 
<laughs> so I was like, okay. I sat down the other night. I was like, okay. Because you get a lot of Macs, really. I do, I mean, I you, do get a lot of yeah. Macs. And best I can tell, my desktop probably got started in maybe 2015 or so when I went independent. Um, sure. Maybe even before then, because my main computer before was just a laptop. And so maybe this user folder has roots there. But before then, I can tell you for a fact, it was 2004 when I got sort of my first Mac that I sort of used. Uh, so wow. I, I'd gone a really, really long time. And my my secondary Mac, my MacBook Pro, I think I started fresh with the 2016 uh, with that first touch bar machine. So yeah. you know, my users have been around for a while, and I don't think I've had any major issues out of it. Did you migrate to your Mac Pro, or did you start from scratch on that one? I migrated to it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, that a Mac Pro to me would be one be like, I don't want anything from any prior <laughs> Macs. Nothing is worthy. Nothing is worthy. Yeah, maybe that's how how I'll I'll deal with it uh, in the Apple Silicon Mac Pro days. But uh, you know, one thing for me, like the pro of as little downtime as possible, is really key. Yeah. If I can just migrate yeah. over an evening and get back to work, because you know these are production machines for me. But um, I do want to talk about uh, you, your migration story uh, in a little bit because <laughs> you had a, quite a ride. But we'll get to that. I think. Yeah, it, I think I'm an outlier, though. I, I don't really right. want to chase people off migration. I think it actually usually just like, like I said, I do this with my kids and my wife all the time. You plug it in, it takes about three hours, and you hand them their computer, and they can't even tell it's any different. And that is the ideal situation. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, really, is that. Yeah. What about um, the the mechanics of the migration? Like, it depends on what cable you use and what, what technology you use. But Apple, they have a lot of accommodations, but it can really change the amount of time you're going to take, depending on which one you go. Yeah, so so Apple has several different routes for migration. Uh, the one I want to get out of the way first is migrating from a PC to a Mac, because there are people who are doing that who may come across this show. and. Yeah. Apple does have a Windows application that you put on your PC and it handles it from the PC side. I'll have a link in the show notes to it. And if you're using the PC app or if you're doing it Mac to Mac, the steps are all really pretty similar. You want to make sure that the computer, like the PC is up to date, make sure it's on the same network as your Mac, and then you start up the migration application on the PC and start it up on the Mac and it they see each other. There is one tricky bit when coming from a PC, and I was surprised to read this, so I'm happy to pass it along. Apple says you need to uninstall the Microsoft OneDrive application from Windows before you migrate to the Mac. And then it says after migration, you can reinstall it on your PC if your PC is going to continue to be in use. Uh, but they do say that that needs to be uninstalled. Uh, I'm not sure the reason behind that, but seems like if they call it out, it's something to notice and yeah, be mindful of. OneDrive is the backbone, just like iCloud is the backbone yeah. of the the Mac. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe it would get angry uh, during the migration. Yeah. But, you know, what back- are you doing? Are you leaving me? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and like, and then like coming from another Mac, you have a bunch of options about what you can and can't transfer that's in that same document. And, and, and really like I would have killed for this back in the day because 
when I was doing a lot more sort of hands-on Mac support, it used to be coming from a PC meant you had like an external hard drive and you were just dragging folders onto it and then dragging them onto the yeah. Mac. And it was very manual. And so this Windows migration tool should make it a lot easier. Yeah. And hoping you got them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mac to Mac migration, though, I think is going to be the one that a lot of people are bumping into as they as they leave the world of Intel and enter the world of Apple Silicon. You know, you need to make sure your software is up to date in both machines, so make sure everything is up to date. It's very, I mean, the process, just as you're setting up the new Mac, it just says, are you migrating from another Mac? It, it, it really kind of does the work for you. Yeah, you really have sort of two roads to go down. You have uh, setup assistant, so when you open up that new MacBook for the first time, when you're setting it up, it says, hey, do you want to transfer? And then you just select from another Mac, and it walks you through it. You can, however, use Migration Assistant, which is in the Utilities folder, and you can run a migration after you've set up a new computer. So say, for instance, I don't know, you buy a new computer when you're on vacation and your old one's at home, and you want to use it, but then you want to go home and move your stuff over to it. That also used to be a real pain, but Apple's made it much easier to bring on uh, other data once once a Mac is set up. Yeah. You can run it later. Yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's the trick. Uh, I still think it's yeah. probably cleaner to do it at the beginning, but you don't necessarily have to anymore. Yeah. And whenever that delta of different files on different computers starts getting bigger, that's when I start getting nervous about data loss. So, For sure. Uh, I think the, you know, the instance of being on vacation and having to use the computer is like one of the few good reasons for that. I, you know, if you get a new Mac, just make the transition immediately. Don't, don't wait a month. Uh, the other thing to, I think, consider when going from Mac to Mac is the age of the, of the old Mac. So if you're running an older version of Mac OS 10, I think, uh, if you're like Mavericks or before, um, or mountain lion and before, excuse me, it's a slightly different set of things you need to go through. And so we have that link in there. Uh, hopefully this doesn't apply to too many people, but it definitely could, you know, these Macs last a long time. Uh, so yeah. if you find yourself in a situation where you're really upgrading from an old version of Mac OS, check out that document. Yeah. Um, also it matters how you connect them. Like there's different ways you can connect the computers Believe it or not, you can do it over Wi-Fi, um, but you can also do Ethernet or Thunderbolt. And um, I have only, the fastest I've done is Ethernet, but I understand Thunderbolt is actually even faster. It, it is really quick, especially if you're coming from uh, Macs with SSDs, like two in SSD Mac, uh, which of course they all are now. It's, it's really fast. And so to... To use just what comes out of the box and like setup assistant, it's going to want to do it over the network. But you can put your old Mac in what's called target disk mode and then connect it with a Thunderbolt cable. Uh, you can use a Thunderbolt 2 to 3 adapter if you have Thunderbolt 2 uh, on a machine. Uh, I don't know how far back you can go. I don't know if you could go to like <laughs> Firewire to Thunderbolt 3. I mean, you can with adapters. Yeah, awesome. I don't. I don't know if target disk mode would work over that many parallel port. Yeah. Oh man. Now you've issued a challenge. I have to go deal with. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're moving from an old Mac, that's a, another option. If you don't want to do it over the network, 
in the case that you're moving from an Apple Silicon Mac to another one, uh, getting into target disk mode is a little bit different. It's a little bit more complicated than it used to be, but it's still relatively easy. It's just a few steps. And basically what this does is it turns your Mac into a big external hard drive and setup assistant can go in there and pull all the data over that super speedy direct connection. Yeah. And we've got articles in the show notes for all this stuff. We're not going to go into the nitty gritty of it, but be aware to M1 Max or to Apple Silicon Max. Mm-hmm. You've got a few extra steps, which is, I think, what I'll probably be doing at, at some point. You know, like I don't know what I'm going to buy next, but I probably would get, if they came out with an M1X version of the Mac Mini, I would probably buy that. And I think I probably, at this point, would just do migration for that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, if I end up with a, a 14 inch Mac Pro at some point, I would I would just migrate over Thunderbolt and be done. Um, yeah. As as you would expect with Apple's tool, you have a lot of control over what you move. So you can move just your home folder. You can move just applications, just settings, and you can drill down and say, I want my documents, but not my downloads. And and one nice feature of it is it tells you how much space. Uh, the data that you're moving will take up and how much space you have left on the the new Mac. And so if you're in the situation where you're moving to a Mac with a smaller SSD, it'll let you know before it attempts to move you know, too much stuff over. So it's, yeah. uh, it's very helpful. Lots of nice little touches and setup assistance. So you have lots of really nice control and information about what's going to happen. And then you can also recover or rebuild or migrate from a time machine backup. So if your if your Mac falls in a lake and <laughs> you still have your time machine backup, you can still migrate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it works the same as coming from another Mac. You can use either setup assistant on a new computer or migration assistant on an existing computer. You just plug in the, the time machine drive into the Mac. And one of the options is do you want to transfer from this time machine drive? And from there, it's basically the same thing. You can select what you want to move. I will say, you know, most people, including myself, uh, I'm using a spinning hard drive for time machine. And so it, it's, it's if you have the option to move from an SSD Mac or from a time machine drive that spins, the time machine drive will be slower, of course, because that media is slower. Could you imagine dropping your Mac in a lake, though? That would be Maybe. bad news. In California, we have this huge lake called Lake Tahoe, and it's like it is super deep. I remember once I was fishing on Lake Tahoe with my dad, and he threw a quarter over the side, and we just watched it because the sun was reflecting off of it, and it just kept falling and falling and falling until we couldn't see it anymore. I mean, it was like I don't know how long it was. I was a kid, so it felt like it was minutes. But could you imagine, like your your MacBook Pro just spinning and falling down like Tahoe and just watching it for minutes. <laughs> well, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, that would be so sad. But if you have a time machine, you're good. Guys. Then you're good. You have time just machine, don't have yeah, it Velcro good. to the back of your computer like some people. Oh, yeah. That'd be bad. That'd be bad. We're looking at you, TJ. That's right. That was directed specifically at TJ. At <laughs> <Yeah>, one listener. <laughs> This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You have probably heard us talking about the Relay FM membership program. 
Well, Memberful is the tool that we chose uh, to build our membership program atop. They make it super easy to generate an extra revenue stream and deliver bonus content to our members. Some of my favorite things about Memberful are their not only their excellent support, which really is top notch, but the ability to plug Memberful into other services. And so if you listen to any of our membership shows, like more power users, you know that you can just subscribe in any podcast app. And that's because of Memberful. They also have uh, ways to plug into Discord and different email platforms. It's really great to extend your membership program out into the world. Maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. Memberful makes it easy to diversify that income with everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay support, free trials, and tons more. And Memberful leaves you, the creator, in full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. So get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. There's no credit card required. That's M-E-M-B-E-R-F-U-L, memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now. Check it out. It could be the start of something really exciting for your project. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. So you've been doing these migrations a long time and you have had no problems. It's been really solid for a really long time for me. And even through big changes, like I was doing this obviously before iCloud was a thing. And now we'll talk about this. You can use iCloud to get a lot of stuff onto a new Mac as well. But even in this modern era with, you know, hundreds of gigabytes of data, I mean, I've got multiple terabytes of data in my home folder on my Mac Pro. I haven't had any issues ever. Yeah, we had a, um, so I have used migration assistant primarily with my kids more than myself. Um, although I use it on myself occasionally and my wife. Um, but when Apple came out with the Intel MacBook air with the new keyboard, with the bet, you know, when they returned to a good keyboard, my kids computer, my, one of them, well, both of them, their computers were just like barely, they were like original gener- generation MacBook airs. Um, Actually, they weren't original. They weren't the ones with the the USB uh, flap door, but they were the first, mm-hmm. the wedge, <laughs> the first of the wedge MacBook Airs. So they were old computers, and I migrated those, zero problems. They just worked. And um, then so when my wife, she had a very old MacBook Pro when the Apple Silicon got off, I, I bought her an M1 MacBook Air, and that migration was just doomed for some reason. I don't know what went wrong. It was connected for five hours and then it finally said it was done, but it was clear from the get go that it hadn't gone right. Like, and she keeps a lot of stuff on her desktop and things weren't there. And then we started looking in the finder and things weren't there either. And, um, and I realized that, you know, something had gone horribly wrong. And this was like very early days with the M one max and I can't but wonder if there was some kind of like software bug with migration assistant between Intel and Apple Silicon in the first couple months after they released them. Um, and, but either way, I mean, it, it didn't go right for her. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, and I really didn't trust that old Mac to keep going. I mean, it really should have been retired long before we did. So I made a, I just took a, a spinning disk drive and copied all of the data onto it. I didn't do a carbon copy cloner backup. I didn't do 
a time machine backup, what I did was literally just go through her files and folders and manually drag in all the stuff I know where she keeps her stuff and just gave that to her. And as she's needed it, she's put stuff on it. And mm-hmm. then I've still got the old the old MacBook Pro in the drawer. I'm going to have to do I think Apple will recycle it. I don't think there is any way this thing is worth anything at this point. But the um, I wanted to um, just keep it around for a while just in case anything else went wrong. But that's all kind of settled down now, and she's got yeah. the data she needs. I believe there was, an, there was an update to Big Sur early on in the Apple Silicon timeframe that fixed some migration issues. And so yeah. uh, you may have just gotten got in there in that. before that software yeah. update. <laughs> yeah, I think I it, it was my, um, you know, unfortunately, my wife became a victim of my early adopter problems. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that happens you know? to my family all the time. Yeah, but, but so it happens occasionally. But I mean, even if you have a migration go wrong, it wasn't the end of the world. You know, we were able, it's not like the migration like zeros out the drive on the source computer. The, that Mac is still there and it still works and you can still get data off of it. So um, you're, you're actually selling me really on migration assistant today. I'm thinking like the next time I upgrade, I'm just going to do that because it is a lot of work to rebuild. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be smooth sailing from here on out with the M ones. Yeah. One thing I used to see a lot, uh, and you may see if you're coming from an older computer, is if you've got like a an old iMac with a spinning hard drive in it, and maybe that drive is beginning to fail, and that's why you're upgrading, obviously that could impact your migration process. And so if you are coming from a machine that's having hardware issues, not necessarily even just the drive, but others, then using a time machine drive may make more sense. And so I think something going into this, uh, trying to make a decision about how you're going to do it. If you've got a time machine drive and you're having issues on the, that old Mac and you believe it's hardware, I would just sit it aside and uh, I would use the time machine drive uh, to migrate and, and not have to deal with the frustration that can arise if you know, the old Mac just, <laughs> just poops out halfway through. Because uh, I've definitely yeah. have have seen that more in the hard drive days, but there's a lot of those machines still kicking around. Also, once you get the migration done, uh, what do you do with your old machine? Yeah, so there is this really fantastic uh, support document about this because uh, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but the Macs are more complicated than they used to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now. Uh, I will say that you can go through this um, and basically you uh, you need to sign out of iCloud, um, sign out of iMessage. You can uh, reset the NVRAM. Um, that Apple says restores certain security features that may have been altered uh, and then go and erase the drive and reinstall macOS. Uh, There is a new feature on Apple Silicon Macs is that you can basically do like what you can on an iPhone or iPad and you erase all contents and settings, but the Mac OS install sticks around. Uh, So that is another option. I tend to, though, just want to reformat the drive completely, reinstall Mac OS clean and then you know, if it's going to a family member or I'm selling it or something like that, then I know for sure that everything is good to go. Yeah, I mean, do you trust it? That's the question. I mean, we do that on our phones all the time. 
And actually, I suspect you probably could trust that button they have now in Apple Silicon. So they've got a setting on Apple Silicon where you erase a Mac like you like you erase an iPhone or an iPad, and it leaves the base install of the operating system, which is a lot easier. Oh, yeah. But there's something satisfying about zeroing out your drive, you know, and just, you know, completely nuking it and reinstalling the, you know, that all your ones and zeros are then gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing you'll want to do is to uh, obviously you want to make sure that you sign out of iCloud before you erase it and make sure that things like find my Mac are turned off. And uh, you can also go in to the Apple ID website. That's appleid.apple.com and log in and you can disconnect that machine from your uh, your Apple ID uh, there as well. So if you uh, sell it or give it to somebody, it's not tied to your account. All right. So um, we've talked about, you know, using migration to just, you know, bring one Mac into a next one. But I thought this would kind of give us also a jumping off point to talk about what do we do with the basic settings on a Mac when you get a new Mac? You know, now we're entering my historical territory of the guy who just starts from scratch each time, you know, what do I go in and modify in terms of settings? Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that would be fun because there are quite a few in there that I think make my life much better. And maybe they, they will help you too, dear listener. And just kind of overall, I have, when I set up a Mac from scratch, I have in my head what I call the MVM. I actually have a, an Apple note called MVM, which in my head means minimal viable Mac, you know? (laughs) So I don't necessarily, when I set up a Mac from scratch, go through and add every single app that I think I'll ever use. I put up the minimal viable Mac and then I add apps as I go along and need them. Um, And it kind of, it's fun to make them kind of earn their way onto the system. Um, But Part of the minimum viable Mac for me is a bunch of alterations to settings because, uh, believe it or not, I don't I don't agree with every single one of Apple's <laughs> default settings. Agreed, <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> so so I thought it would be fun to just kind of go through and kind of take turns talking about some of the settings that you and I like to change on a Mac. And this doesn't necessarily apply to just a new Mac. If you're listening and you've got a really old Mac, you may want to keep an ear to this one. You may have some settings that you may want to change. Yeah. And and really, I mean, I, for all Mac users recommend spending some time in system preferences because there may be things in here that you don't realize you can change that have been bothering you. And so I think it's a a good practice to take a tour through there sometimes and see, you know, what, what makes sense for where you are. And can I just say for a minute, something that occurs to me almost daily is that Apple has named the preferences app on the Mac system preferences, and they've named it on the iPhone and iPad settings. And the fact that they don't use the same name on both platforms drives me insane. Does that bother you too? It does bother me. System preferences has been around since 2001, like the very beginning of OS 10, and they yeah. should change it to to match. Um, yeah, there's so many things they changed. You know, why can't they just call it settings? I mean, yeah. Remember, it used to be called iCal, and then they switched it to calendar because mm-hmm. that's what it's called on the phone. I still type iCal in Alfred like every day. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but at least Apple changed the name. You know, I don't yeah. know why they they left that. Anyway, that that's just a little tiny rant from me. But and, and all my apps, like the same thing, Alfred. If I type settings on the Mac, it'll give me system preferences. I mean, my computers learned my foibles, but the um, mm-hmm. but it does drive me a little nuts that they don't have the same. Um, but either way, let's start with some some Finder settings. Okay. Um. One of them that I'm a fan of a couple of years ago, they added to the uh, finder is, is um, stacks. I don't know if you've used this or not, uh, but it's a, it's a settings view in the finder. I believe it's under view. Uh, I should probably look this up while we're talking here real quick. Uh, yeah, it's under, so, so finder has two preference sections. Uh, it has finder preferences and then it has view options, which is yeah. command J. And yeah. you can set stacks in the second one. Um, and so you can set them by kind or date or tags. And it's like yeah. stacks in the dock that showed up, you know, 10 years ago, but out there just on your desktop. Yeah. And you can also just enable them from the finder menu bar under the view menu. It just says use stacks. And um, I think it's great. And the uh, so what it does is it, and you can set the, the qualifying parameter, but I just use it by type, which is the default. And so it'll put all the word documents in a stack and all the PDFs in a stack and all the screenshots in a stack. And I don't like to keep a lot on my desktop. Uh, usually within a day or two things are gone from my desktop. But while I, when I'm working on a project, I do use the desktop as working space and I want to be able to, you know, separate them. Like, a uh, silly thing I do often is I do corporate minutes for clients. So I write the documents and pages or word, and then I save out copies as PDFs. And then I email the PDFs to the client. And I just want to make sure I send them the right formatted documents and using stacks makes that really easy. So it's a feature that came in a few years ago. I think a lot of longtime Mac users kind of um, poo pooed it or, you know, held their noses and like that. Ah, that's just for basic users. But I, I really think it's actually useful for anyone. And if you collect things on your desktop, why not have stacks put them together for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not using it, but I, my, if there's something on my desktop is there to be dealt with and then it goes away. Yeah. But if I stored things there, I would definitely look into it. Yeah, but see, I don't even store things there. But but the thing is, like, when I do a client project, there may be 10 Word files and 10 PDFs because, everything, you know, there's multiple pieces of the project. Mm. And I don't want to have 20 icons on my desktop. And then I go to send it to the client, and I'm not sure which one is the Word and which one is the is the PDF is a good example. So anyway, I, I find it really useful, um, even as someone who doesn't store things on my desktop. I'm so tempted to turn it on on my wife's computer. I've I've talked about this on the show before, <laughs> but my wife is one of those people that has so many items on her desktop that they literally like stack. She has stacks, but they're not the kind of stacks that we're talking about. She has stacks <laughs> because she, you know, she has so many icons on her desk that they got to the to the they filled up the screen and started over again. Mary has a folder called Desktop Files, and it was everything yeah. on her desktop a few years ago, and we just put it in that folder. So, yeah, I, I feel that pain. Yeah. Yeah, but if I just turned on stacks, it would sort it for her. But, you know, um, I love my wife. We've been married a long time. I intend for her to be the only person of my life. But I feel like if I want to keep that status, I should probably leave her computer alone. So, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good call. Now, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about stacks in the dock? They showed up, I think, in Leopard. Do you, do you use those? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, okay. the dock for me is very, um, 
I don't use the dock much. So and we'll, we'll get there because I've got some dock settings I want to talk about. But okay. But yeah, the dock is not a huge element for me. It's hidden, you know, so I, I barely use the dock. Yeah. I've got I've got two stacks in mine. Uh, I've got downloads and my Dropbox folder just for like really yeah. quick access. But most of the time, if I'm already in Finder, I'll probably just use the keyboard shortcuts to get to those folders. But I have yeah. them there, I think, out of habit more than anything else. Yeah, and it's kind of fun the way they they fly up with oh, the, yeah. the files in them. And I mean, Apple did a good job with the whole implementation of that. And you know, thinking about you know, as opposed to power users, like typical users, I think stacks can be something that really can change the game for them. Definitely, uh, either on the dock or on the desktop. Uh, but there's more Finder settings. Like one of the things I find, like the default Finder view is recent. I don't know if you notice that when you open a Finder window, it gives you that recent view. And because I use the desktop as working space, I want the desktop to be my default view. So you can change that in the Finder settings. So if you just go Finder and into the Preferences window for Finder, you can change that. And I find that uh, more useful to me than having the recent file show up. Yeah, I do the exact same thing you do. Yeah. Another thing that Finder has is a setting to allow you when you're showing list view to put folders on top. And that is to me super useful. This is a relatively new setting, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure when it showed up, you know, because I just like to have the folders at the top. I don't want the folders um, mixed in alphabetically or, you know, whatever I'm indexing by in that list. Yeah, I'm an alphabetical alphabetical guy here. Sorry. Oh no, no, I want the folders <laughs> on top, baby. Want them on top. Uh, the um, you can also determine what shows up on your drive on your desktops. Like if you have external disks or hard disks, you can have them just appear on your desktop. That's really kind of to me a throwback to the old days on you know the original, uh, you know the original Mac where anything you plugged in just showed up on the desktop. And I turned that on for nostalgia, but then I found I never use it. So I turned it back off after a week and I've gone through that cycle probably 10 times <laughs> using that stuff. I've got it all visible, hard disks, external okay. disks. Uh, this one, I don't know the last time I used, but CDs, DVDs, and iPods, that's still yeah. I think a mixer <laughs> and uh, connected servers. Yeah, it's probably nostalgia. Um, but I also have the setting on where I can see how much space is left in them. Again, not necessary, but I kind of like having the numbers visible. Yeah. So do you do you ever open like an external drive from your desktop? I've got one external drive that's not Time Machine, and I do open it that way. I mean, it's in the Finder sidebar as well, but yeah. especially if I'm copying stuff to it, so I'll have like a Finder window open. And I will have a bunch of stuff selected and drag it over onto that external and, you know, it pops up and that works pretty well for, for me. Yeah. And, and they have, let's talk about the finder sidebar for a minute. Cause there's an entire pain for that in finder settings. And they turn off, in my opinion, way too many of these as default because I turn almost all of them on it. Like, like where I'm not putting a lot of stuff on the desktop uh, for organization, I have gone completely insane on the Finder sidebar with favorites and um, defaults. Um, there's, there's a long list of folders in my Finder sidebar. Same. And you're not limited to just what Apple has put in the Finder preferences. You can take any 
folder anywhere in Finder and drag it into the sidebar and it will make a shortcut. And, you know, I've got some that are pretty standard that are always there. But as I've worked on, for instance, the calendar I did the Kickstarter for, the calendar folder is in there and it'll be in there until that project's done and then it'll go away. And so my favorites are fluid over time. I think that's the way people should treat them. Yeah, I agree. And when you're done with the project, remove it. Like if I've got a big client project and I'm going, no, I'm going to be going in it a lot for the next two weeks, it goes in the sidebar. Um, uh, for the field guides, like I've got, you know, the, I haven't, I've, I've gone public. I have a Devon thing field guide that I'm, I'm almost done with now, but I've got on the sidebar, I've got not only the source folder for that, I've got the folder where all the screencasts are. I've got the folder where the transcripts are being generated. I got the folder for my editor so I can just take any screencast and hold down the option key and drag it into that folder. And it automatically copies it to his folder, which then syncs to his desktop so he can, um, work on whatever I drop in there. I mean, this is a bunch of stuff I put over on the sidebar. Um, I actually have kind of even a, a hierarchy of it for, me, for myself um, because I have three phases of my life. You know, I've got a personal Max Sparky and legal. Um, there's like a group of folders for personal, a group of folders for Max Sparky, a group of folders for personal. And I, I you know, like if you go through my sidebar, you can see where those are in you know, the lines are drawn between them. I do wish that there was some sort of indenting or like showing of, I don't know, like something just to rank them a little bit better. Like what if you could have like a section yeah. that was legal and you could minimize or maximize that section as you needed it. So one thing you can do, I, cause I've played with this problem is you can make a folder and just give it like a bunch of dashes as a name. And then it shows up as a separator. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then you just you just put that in the sidebar, and then you've got like a separator. And I I've played with that. I've also played with trying to use custom icons, which sometimes it's not entirely consistent. And I think with this transition between Intel and Apple Silicon, this isn't the time to be trying to like get too cute with your icons. But the um the uh I've tried different things, and at the end of the day, none of them have really stuck for me. But I you know I know basically where I. I can go and I can scroll through the list and land where I need. But yeah, sidebar. That was kind of a little bit of a a sidebar about oh, a sidebar. But wow, that's good. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, while we're in Finder, turn on View Path Bar, turn on View Status Bar. Yes. I mean, what is it about Apple where, and I know this is a big thing with Safari right now, but this goes deeper where they have this great, data indicators in a lot of their apps, but they turn them all off by default. And like when you're in the finder, you want to know how big the file is. You want to know what the path of it is. That's why you're in the finder, right? So they've got all this great data. They turn it all off. So just turn on, just take my word for it. Don't even think about it. Just trust Sparky here. Turn on path bar and status bar, and you will thank me for it later. 100% agreed. The other thing I would point people to is being able to customize the toolbar. So the top bar in Finder, Apple has its default sets of uh, utilities there. But for instance, if you want uh, a little Dropbox dropdown in all of your Finder windows, then you can have it there. Uh, you can rearrange things where maybe you don't ever use, use tags. Like I don't use tags. And so I have the edit tags button uh, gone from there. You can rearrange what goes where. And it's it's pretty handy. Uh, and I think it's something that 
you should spend some time in, even if you turn on these other things like the path bar, uh, well, you can add a little path dropdown there if you want it, uh, because Apple is hiding the proxy icons in Big Sur. So you have some flexibility with what goes there at the top. Um, and you can, like in mail, say, I want icons and text or just icons. Some of the icons are a little confusing, like uh, some of the grouping icons aren't, some of it's not super clear. So maybe start out with icon and text if you really change things up and then go back to just icons once you feel comfortable with where everything is. Yeah, and let's just put a pin in proxy icon because once they release Monterey, I have more to say. But I don't want to get too excited until it's out of beta. <laughs> okay. But I have thoughts. I have thoughts on those proxy icons. But anyway, um, one that I think you need to think about is they turn on by default all of the iCloud sync settings. And um, I know a lot of people that are not that comfortable with iCloud and don't trust it. Uh, Steven uses Dropbox for most of his big end syncing, for instance. And um, I think that you should have on your minimal viable Mac list, you know, check in with iCloud and decide what you want to sync. Like, do you really want it to sync your desktop files or, you know, how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go? Mm -hmm. All of that is managed in the iCloud um, icon of the system preferences. And, and some of those are surfaced in setup assistant. So we're talking earlier about migrating to a new Mac. Uh, I don't know for how long, but like the sync my desktop with documents, you know, sync that with iCloud, that has been checked by default. And I definitely don't want that the way that I use my computers. And so, yeah, spend some time in there. Uh, I think one thing that's a little bit tricky about the iCloud system preference pane in particular is that um, you don't necessarily kind of pay attention to it, but there's an options button next to iCloud Drive and next to Find My Mac. And in there, you can really fine-tune what you allow to sync with iCloud Drive, and that's where the desktop and documents setting is. So if you enable that and you put a folder on your desktop on your iMac, it'll show up on the desktop of your MacBook Pro if you have this turned on both places. And some people want that. I know people who use it. It's not for me personally, um, but uh, you do have some flexibility on whether that's on or off. Yeah. So, and everybody that podcast that I've ever listened said, says, don't do that. That's crazy. You know, you're asking for trouble. Two years ago, I turned it on, <laughs> you know, and I've been running it for two years and I have not had any problem. And it's really nice because my my office slash studio setup is is great, but um, at three o'clock every day, the sun lands straight on my face from a window that's like 20 feet off the ground. And it's like, how am I going to deal with this window? But either way, I look at that as the time of day where I need to get out of my office and, you know, take the dog for a walk or take a nap or even take a laptop and work somewhere else. And having my desktop sync up as soon as I go to a different place, that's really kind of handy. So I find it, it works for me, but if you don't want that, you should turn it off and Apple does turn it on. So I, I don't really like that as a default. Yeah, me neither. The other slightly tricky one is the photos. Uh, you can just basically enable iCloud photos in the preference pane, but then if you want to change, does photos download them all or do I just get thumbnails? Those settings are in the photos application 
not in system preferences. So you got to go over there and tell it exactly how you want it to sync with iCloud photos. Yeah. And if you're building a Mac from scratch, by the way, power tip is very early in the process, just open photos and let it get that sync started. Yeah. And just leave it running in the background, especially like when you go to bed, have it plugged into an ethernet or something and just go to bed and plug in the power and a good internet connection and let photos do its thing. Mm -hmm. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by one password. Head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off your plan. I'd like to take a moment today to talk about the one password family plan. It's just $5 per month for an entire family. And that's before you get that 20% discount off or going through our link. And it can really up the game for security and your family. With 1Password for Family, you can sign in with a single click. 1Password makes it easy to create and use strong passwords and log into any app or website within seconds with a strong and unique password on a per-website basis. And this isn't just true for you, it's true for everybody in your family, even those that aren't as concerned about security as you may be. And with 1Password for Families, you can share passwords among your family. My wife and kids and I are all on a 1Password for Families account, and we do this all the time. So if we need to share something with the kids, we've got a shared vault that the kids get. If we need to share something just between me and my wife, we have a separate vault that we share passwords in there as well. The bottom line is, is that if any of us make a change in that shared vault data, we all get it immediately. So not only can we keep up with changes to the banking password, we can keep up with changes to the Netflix password as well. And of course, you get that peace of mind for everyone. You can protect your family from hacks and breaches by making it easy to use strong passwords and find security problems with the websites you use. With 1Password, you get alerts when accounts are compromised, so you can update passwords right away. You can identify weak or duplicate passwords in websites where you can turn on two-factor authentication. You can also create strong, unique passwords with the built-in password generator and recover 1Password access for family members so they never get locked out. It's just super powerful. It's a great way to get those people in your family that aren't as interested in this stuff interested in it and getting them using strong and unique passwords. And it's a great way to kind of manage everything. I signed up for a 1Passwords for Family account the day they announced it. I thought it was a great idea to share with my wife and kids. I've been a paying member now for several years. And I'm very happy with it. If you want to get started with 1Password for Families, head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and you get 20% off. So start protecting yourself and your family today with 1Password for Families. That URL one last time is onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. Go check it out and sign up today. Automatic software updates. Do you turn that on? I have it set to download them, but not install them um, because I don't want the Mac to install like a new Mac OS update or prompt me to until I'm ready because I, I tend to, especially on my Mac Pro, I tend to stay a little bit behind. so. I give like the new point update a few days in the wild before I discover, you know, Oh gosh, there's some sort of issue. Um, Yeah. I think that's wise. Um, But the exception I would say is if you're dealing with if you're supporting someone who is not as tuned into this stuff, 
um, just have it automatically installed. Mm -hmm. Like I do that with my wife and kids because if I didn't, they would never install the updates. And, you know, I, I think the risk of having them on the old versions with security holes are worse than the risk of having it update before, you know, there's some kind of problem. I think it's caught. I think you're right about that. And and all that's managed in software update under system preferences. There's an advanced button and you can, yeah. there's like five or six things you can do. Uh, here is, I have a beef about system preferences. Actually, I have several. Um, but yeah. one of them is that they use the system preferences icon again for software update. Yeah, so like Apple know, has a software update icon they used to use. Like, use it here. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was like a placeholder when it first showed Me up. Too. I'm like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they'll four they'll years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, overall, I do like the fact that they've moved it kind of into the Apple menu where you can do an update from there. You know, that was, you know, I, I, I I'm sorry, it started there, then it went into the system preferences, but now it's kind of in both places. I. I think they've made some progress with things, but yeah, this icon is is madness, and and it looks like the icon over on the iPhone, yeah, which is not exactly, but it's close enough, yeah. right? It's like just use what what are you doing? Yeah. Oh boy. Maybe that would be one of my first day things if they made gave me Tim Cook's yes. job. I'm like, guys, and I, I I wouldn't even have a question. It, it wouldn't be system preferences anymore; it'd just be settings, mm-hmm. and we'd fix that icon. Let's just fix it not force our users to have to keep those things straight between their heads. Um, the general setting um, is the one of the very first ones. I think you did a post recently about how you would rearrange the system preferences. Yeah, I did a video about it. Yeah, that's right. And this one actually makes sense. I think general should come first. Um, but there's a few things in here I would recommend changing. The one, Number one is this. They've made changes recently with this accent color where historically you only got to pick one color but now you've got it a multicolor option which is pretty cool yeah it, it lets each application use its own uh accent color so music and calendar are red notes is yellow finder is blue um and so you can set the accent color to multicolor and then you can set the highlight color to accent color so it also uses the multicolor. So it, for me, yeah. like I used the graphite theme for such a long time, which is like the gray stoplight controls, yeah. but I love the multicolor so much. I've just turned all the color on. Like I like that each app yeah. can have its own little personality and that it's just, it's fun in a way. Um, you know, I, I'm not one that I didn't go through and like make everything orange because of that or everything red or something that made me a little nutty. Uh, my wife uses her Mac in dark mode with the green accent color. And I just don't say anything. That's not a combo I would use, but yeah. I love the multicolor approach. Yeah. I think it's, um, but I mean, if you do want all your accents to be orange, maybe that's your favorite color. Rosemary uh, over at automators is really into purple. I would imagine she's probably using purple, but the, um, you can do that. But the, the multicolor I think was really an improvement and that, that actually is a default. So you don't have to change it. That's how it ships. Uh, do you have a, do you do anything with the appearance setting, like light, dark, or automatic? Uh, light mode for me on Mac OS. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. Occasionally I find myself switching to dark and I always switch back. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Um, there's, there's also a setting here though that I like to turn on 
and I don't know if this makes me sound like an old guy, but they've got hiding scroll bars on the Mac OS. And when I first started using a Mac, the scroll bars were always there. And I actually find that kind of useful. I want to know where in the document I am. And in the general preferences, you can have it show the uh, scroll bars uh, automatic or only when scrolling or just turn them that they're always on. And I don't know when I turned that on, but it was a long time ago to, to have it just always show them. And I don't find it offensive to my sensibilities at all. <laughs> and I really like when I open a window to know where I am in the document. So that's a, that's a setting that I change. Yeah, I have, I have them on too. I didn't until kind of recently, but I've just realized that I don't mind them being there and it makes glancing at something and knowing what's going on a lot easier. Yeah. Do you do anything with the screensaver system preferences? Yeah, I mean, I I use the old school uh, flurry of color. It's like it's like a band of color that moves around and I have it show the time. Uh, I kind of like my Mac showing me the time when it's in screensaver. And I have the screensaver come on uh, after 10 minutes on my Mac Pro. And then I have it put the display to sleep after 30. So uh, the screensaver is not running for very long for me. Yeah, I don't run a screensaver at all. I just have the screen go dark. Um, I, a few years ago, or maybe it was just last year, I've kind of lost track. It's been a weird year. But the um, I um, I did a link to a really cool third-party screensaver, and I'm looking it up right now. The Padbury Clock screensaver, which is a very well-crafted, you know, Helvetic, a clean clock screensaver. But then it stopped working on me. I think that might be an M1 thing. I'll have to go back and check and see if they've updated it. But that was the only screensaver that I ever found that I I could stand. Mm -hmm. There's also one that will pull in the Apple TV screensavers and let you use those videos uh, on your Mac. Now, you need some disk space because those videos are big. But if you like those videos, you can have them play on your laptop too. Next is the dock menu. Okay, so I talked earlier. I'm not a huge user of the dock, you know. Um, one of the first things I do is I remove most of the icons from the dock. Like, I don't need them. When I want to play music, I just don't think to go down and press the music icon in the dock. I mean, I Alfred runs my life. You know, with Alfred, I can kick off the specific playlist. I've also got a bunch of music-related um, buttons on my on my stream deck. Like I've got a whole panel of them. Um, so I just never think to go to the dock for music. And that's true for almost all the apps that it ships with on the computer, on the, uh, on a new Mac. So I empty the dock out to me. The dock almost is really just a list of running apps. I'm a little more old school. I think in the way that I, I think about the dock. I mean, I launch almost everything with Alfred, but I do launch things from the dock and I do, use it to keep an eye on, you know, the apps that I let have badges and letting me drag something, you know, into another application. And so mine's always visible. I have it on the right-hand side and I've tried running it hidden. I've even done the thing. There's a terminal command you can do and tell it, hey, basically have no, like the fade in time, basically make it zero. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No delay. It kills the animation. It just appears. Yeah. I don't like that. But even then, it's I just I'd prefer being able to see it and get to it more easily. 
Yeah, I do that. Like we have this, con- we've had this conversation on this show, and like you sold me, I put it on the side, yes, and I kept it present, and I just found I never used it. Mm. You know, I just for whatever reason, I just don't. I'm just not into the dock. Uh, but anyway, so I so I adjust it, I hide it, and and all that stuff. But the the, the actual system preference that um, that deals with the dock also deals with the menu bar, and that has really changed a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah, with the the inclusion of Control Center, you can now have things that used to be in the menu bar, like Bluetooth or Do Not Disturb or Wi-Fi, and you can have them in the Control Center. But this is my other big gripe about system preferences, is the window is not resizable. Like some preferences panes will make it bigger than others, but you can't just drag it out. And the dock and menu bar preference pane in Big Sur is the worst example of this because there's so much scrolling around to like see where things are. I think it's actually pretty confusing. Yeah. And, and it's also just kind of a little bit user hostile, like the clock settings. Like I like to put a 24 hour clock on, um, on my, uh, in my menu bar, but whenever I screencast, I don't want a clock in the menu bar because you don't need to see that it took me 10 minutes to record this 30 seconds of screencast, (laughs) you know, or, or worse, like an hour, but the, um, uh, but there's no way to turn it off now. They've, because they've turned the clock into the button you press to get the sidebar to open up, you know, the, um, the notification center. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to turn it off. And, and even then when you go to the clock settings and preferences, there's nothing in there about the menu bar icon. You have to go into the dock settings, scroll down the sidebar, and there's a clock thing there that has the 24-hour and analog settings. So so what I end up doing is when I screencast now, I just turn on the analog clock because it's almost indecipherable up on the corner because it's mm-hmm. so tiny. But, you know, they I just feel like they kind of like, um, in, in their effort to combine all of this, they didn't think it through as, as far as I wish they had. Uh, do you, I was reminded of this looking at these settings. There's a setting for flash the time separator, so the colon in between the hour and the minutes. Oh man, do you remember you like in that? the olden days you'd have to do that because then it would tell you if your Mac was frozen or not? Like if the clock quit blinking, yeah. you were you were yeah. hung. It was a diagnostic tool. <laughs> <It> yes, <Yeah. was. laughs> I still like the one that says announce time. Like who does that? Who has their clock? Well, maybe there's an accessibility case for it, but I, I just like, do you really want your clock to tell you, hey, it's, you know, four o'clock on the hour, all's well, you know? No, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> uh, what I would recommend, though, is you can drag some of the tools out of the new fancy dock and uh, or control center and put them on the dock. I recommend doing that with um, Wi-Fi and uh, sound. I do that with both of those because I don't want to have to drill through uh, a separate menu to get to those. I always want to see what the sound source is and I want to see if the Wi-Fi is working. Yeah, those are the two that I'd recommend as well uh, just because they're the ones that may change the most often too. You know, like the Bluetooth one, like my keyboard or mouse are either connected or they're not. It's not a, uh, <laughs> it's not really going to help me either way. But um, I definitely always want to see what audio and Wi-Fi are doing. Always. All right. Uh, I, I need to know something about you. Okay. Are you the guy that turns the battery percentage on or just leaves it just the icon? No, I want to see the percentage on my laptop. I knew it. I would have bet a thousand dollars that you turn the percentage <laughs> on. 
I, I'm different. I, I don't care about the percentage until it gets low. Yeah. And then I really want to know. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's like too many like days of using just power books, you know, and <laughs> King stuck in class without <laughs> yeah. any battery. Yeah. Uh, one thing to do when you, if you're setting up a Mac from scratch is the dock is one of those places that's pre-populated with a bunch of apps. And yeah. if you're like me, probably a bunch of apps that you don't actually <laughs> want or use. And so I do some, some dock purging if I'm setting up from scratch. Amen. I don't need books. I don't need Apple books on my dock. <laughs> Sorry, Apple. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would recommend the same thing with a menu bar, you know, organize the menu bar when you're setting up your Mac. Mm-hmm. Don't get stuck at looking at things, just the order they put them in. Yeah. Like you can go in, in the dock preferences. This is another one that's kind of buried, right? Uh, how often have you accidentally hit the Siri button in the dock, especially if you have a touch bar Mac? Oh yeah. A thousand times. Yeah. And so if you go into system preferences and dock and menu bar, and then you scroll down, actually, yeah, it's under Siri menu bar. You can click it and turn it off in menu bar. I have actually just turned Siri entirely off on my Mac. Uh, the dictation still works, but I have never found myself using a Siri dictation with a Mac. And I just continually accidentally trigger it. And I just got frustrated one day and turned it off. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it because it's the only color icon in the dock. <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I, don't want, I don't want to see it. Yeah, agreed. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. So you have a whole fleet of Apple devices, and they used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from an office predictably, handed directly to your team member on day one, used precisely for work and securely connected to that office network. But now in 2021, they're strewn across the land. Your company's iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy coffee shop Wi-Fi, mistakenly being left behind on flights, moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned work-from-home offices. What could go wrong? Thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about things that can go wrong because it gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric's device management automates device provisioning and setup, remotely enforces security and compliance across your fleet, and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support for fully managed devices. They have over 100 IT specialists ready to field your team's IT request. So stop stressing over scattered devices. Head on over to electric.ai MPU and get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they're going to give you a pair of Beat Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's a pretty cool deal. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you schedule a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show. Mission Control is another section of macOS that I think is a, a little bit off uh like a little bit misconfigured from the factory uh the one the setting that really i think you should go in and look at and change is automatic arrangement so mission controls lets you where you see all your windows and if if you have more than one desktop or more than one space set up you see them across the top and it wants to automatically rearrange spaces based on the most recent usage 
And to me, at least, that really breaks my my mental model oh. of where things are on my computer. Like, I know I'm looking at my main screen. One screen to the right is Discord and Twitter. And one screen to the right of that is music. And if those things get out of order, I feel lost. And so that's a setting that I 100% recommend looking at if Mission Control is driving you up the wall. I could make the case this is the worst default preference setting on the Mac entirely. I mean, because, look, we're humans. Uh, Spatial awareness is something we're actually good at. You know, that's the way our brains are wired. I think it started with, like, figuring out where the saber-toothed tigers were. But uh, you set up a space, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. On the right is my browser, and if I swipe left, it's my email, and everything's great. And then you swipe left, and it's like, the music app or something else, you know, and you're like, what just happened? Where did that saber to tiger go? And it's like, it, it literally breaks your brain. I, I don't understand. They made such a great feature that's called spaces, Stephen. It's called spaces, spatial awareness, right? Um, but they said, no, we're just going to shuffle it up for you. And, you know, the, the thinking is that, you know, if you, you whatever you use most recent, they're going to put closest to where you are. But I don't know anybody that prefers that. I think everybody would prefer to know that if I go two to the right, it's going to be my calendar, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So yeah, please turn that yeah. one off. Or just try it and you'll see. You will yeah. feel better. <laughs> uh, yeah. And skipping ahead for a second, uh, in the um, trackpad setting, which we're going to come back to, in the more gesture section, you can change how you get to mission control with gestures and you can enable like, app expose which shows you only all your open safari windows at once um and so the trackpad settings and mission control settings definitely relate to each other so if you're unhappy with how you get into these uh and if you're like me i never use the keyboard shortcut uh to get into mission control i always use a trackpad uh go in there and you can fiddle with you know what sort of gestures do what for you yeah but it is, uh, you can really make spaces work for you. But I am convinced that a lot of people try spaces and give it up, give up on it because the, there's no consistency. They don't know what's going to show up where. And they're like, oh, this is nuts. And they just stop using it. And it's all down to this one bad default preference. Uh, so we, we mentioned Siri that you just have it turned off. I don't have it in the menu bar. Um, yeah. What about Spotlight? You and I both use a third party. Uh, tool here yeah yeah so i just what i do i mean very early in setting up a new mac for me i install alfred and because i'm just so used to having it there for me that i need it from the beginning and you open um spotlight command space and then you hit command comma and i remap spotlight to option uh space and so it's always there if i want to use it there are a few things that it is better at than alfred um trying to remember what those are i think one of them was you can place phone calls from a contact search and spotlight that you can't do in alfred i mean there's a couple little things occasionally i find myself needing to run a spotlight search so i still have the option but i just immediately remap it and that's really the only change i make to spotlight uh, you can if you are using spotlight if you're not using something like alfred or launch bar this is where you can fine tune so say that you never want spotlight to look at music files for instance you can uncheck music and it doesn't return those you can also drag in folders that you want spotlight to ignore and so if you have something that is private and you don't want coming up in a search or just something that 
you know, maybe you have a folder of, of documents that are sort of archival in nature and you don't want them junking up your search results, you could drag that folder into this privacy tab and it will exclude them from Spotlight as well. Language and region system preference is where you turn the 24-hour clock on. <laughs> they, I just want to be clear. They do have a system preference called clock and time. <laughs> but if you want the 24-hour clock, you need to go to language and preferences. Yeah. It even says at the bottom. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it even says at the bottom, <laughs> to set date and time formats, use the language and region preferences. <laughs> okay, Apple. I don't understand that. What, when, why can't they just put it in both places, honestly, if they really need it? You know, but I don't know. Use a 24-hour clock? No. Yeah. I, I don't know many Americans do, but back in my Jungle Cruise day, Apple were, I'm sorry, uh, Disneyland. Funny how I equate Disneyland and Apple in my brain. But anyway, <laughs> Disneyland runs on a 24-hour clock, and I, I got used to it. Now I can't imagine going back to a yeah to a clock system where it's 7 o'clock twice in one day. I don't want to do that ever again. I definitely know people who use the 24-hour clock and their story is all similar, that they had a job or maybe they were in the service. And yeah. once you get used to that, you think the other system is silly. <laughs> you just don't want yeah. to go back. And every time I this comes up on the show, I hear from a ton of international listeners that thinks all Americans are animals for using a 12-hour clock. I mean, it may be true. It's hard to say. Yeah. Up next is notifications. Boy, that's a whole show. Like, yeah, we're going to just skip that. Say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, notifications. I, I, I think we got to just like, we got to pass on that today. I don't have it in me. It, it's, uh, it's a messy system preference pane. Uh, another one I always change or I always turn on with laptops, especially, but I guess this would be true for a desktop too, is, um, is unlock with Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's probably more true with the desktop now that I think about it. But if you're an Apple Watch user, it doesn't do this by default. It does prompt you when you start using an Apple Watch. But take the time to set it up so it can ping your Apple Watch when you sit down at your computer and unlock your computer. Even if you have Touch ID on your computer, there is nothing faster than just opening up your computer and having it work. I was at a... um WWDC a few years ago where Craig Federighi spoke about this. I think it was at um, John Gruber's live event. And he was talking how they ping the watch and they know the distance of the watch from the computer. I mean, they, they're very, it, this isn't a thing where like, if you're in the building, someone can just open your lid and start using your computer. You've got to be sitting in front of it for it to work. And the convenience of this just really is, is awesome. You know, you sit down, your computer unlocks and you start working on it. Yeah, I have it turned on uh, for my Mac Pro. And even, I mean, my tower's under the desk and it still works perfectly. Yeah, uh, You can also use it to unlock applications. So like 1Password, for yeah. instance, you can unlock with your Apple Watch. Um, system preference panes that are locked, you can unlock with your Apple Watch. And so it's more than just sitting down and waking and logging into the Mac. It's really as close as you can get to like Touch ID without having Touch ID if, you know, if you have a desktop. Yeah, and also... Talking about security, turn on FileVault. You know, that that should be something you do with, with any new Mac. I, I don't have a good reason not to turn on FileVault on any computer at this point. I think it, it runs fast. I don't think it slows anything down. I don't think there's a security risk. I mean, there's definitely not a security risk. It's, it improves security, but I, I don't think there's a data loss risk either. The other couple things in security and privacy, just to be aware of, is you can 
say, allow apps downloaded from App Store or App Store and identified developers. You've got to go to this preference pane if you ever try to open something that's not signed. Um, and you've got to tell it, yes, I do want you to run this application I downloaded randomly from the internet. The other thing in here is all the way at the end, the privacy tab is what apps have access to what types of data. And so you can go in there and see, okay, these are the applications that have permission to use my camera. These are the ones that have permission to record my screen, et cetera. There's, there's about a dozen or so different categories in here. And a lot of applications that need these to do their jobs, they'll prompt you to go into system preferences and, and give them the correct permissions. And this is where uh, this is where that takes place. And, you know, every once in a while I go through here and just make sure I haven't assigned something access it doesn't need, in my opinion. But while a little bit messy, but just because the window's so small and you're doing a lot of scrolling, uh, I think it's pretty straightforward and kind of how Apple's broken it down, I think. Yeah, I guess like it, it's easy to make fun of Apple for the the prompts we get now because of these security settings where you install a new app and you've got to go into this preference and you've got to unlock it and you've got to like enable it for the app. And it's a pain in the neck, especially when you're setting up a new Mac. But um, the the end result of that is this window where you can see exactly what apps have to exactly what, you know, and like which apps, you know, get access to my camera or key logging. And I really think that part of this equation is really good. I think the the ability to go in and audit this yourself is really great. And you just hit a checkbox to turn it off. Another one is, um, this is silly, but I go in user groups and um, users and groups and just check in with that login items there. You know, just all that stuff. There, there's actually more in users and groups than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is also where you control the login options. Uh, I do not have any computer ever automatically log in. I don't think you should either. Yeah. Use a password, use Touch ID, use your Apple Watch. Uh, you can, if you have multiple users, this is where you can say, uh, you know, how I want the login window to look. Do I want fast user switching enabled? Uh, those sorts of things are also in the login options section of users and groups. Um, please don't let your computer automatically log in. Like, actually, I do have one computer that I let do it. The Mac Mini that we use basically to host our like now sort of classic iTunes library. Then <laughs> uh, it sits under the TV and it's a DVD player. That one I have yeah. automatically log in. But I've turned file sharing and everything else off to it. Things that I used to use it for, I don't anymore. But I would never enable that on my desktop or on my laptop. No way. Yeah. And when you're looking at your login items and users and groups, it's important to understand there's a checkbox there. All that does is hide it. It doesn't turn it off. People think if you uncheck it, then you're, you're no longer using those items. You have to actually select the item. And then at the bottom, there's a little plus and negative sign hit the negative sign to nuke it like i as we're sitting here i'm like why is google chrome a login item on my computer i never (laughs) i don't recall approving that so i'm going to hit the little negative button and now google chrome is off my list so it doesn't hurt to go in there and check it out once in a while but as you're setting up a new mac this thing starts populating and you want to make sure you get that pared down to just the apps you actually use because all those login items just slow down your boot up and, you know, just more cruft that you're sticking in memory. And most of the time they're, they're running in your menu bar. <laughs> so you're also jacking up your menu bar. Yeah. I have a, a suggestion for the 
worst named system preference pane. Okay. All right. That is what is it? Keyboard. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's so much stuff crammed yeah, into keyboards. They should rename it, etc. Yeah. <laughs> Kitchen sink. Uh, so there's the regular keyboard stuff, like key repeat and what key, you know, for, di- you know, what the function key does for dictation or so emoji, whatever. But then there's also your built-in text expansion, which supposedly syncs with iOS, but I know a lot of people <laughs> that doesn't work very well. This is also where you say correct uh, spelling automatically, capitalize words automatically, add period with double space, a bunch of stuff I do not want on on my Mac. <laughs> I've turned off all three of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's got the, the shortcuts button that has like a, another like twelve different entire subsystems yeah. built into it. We did a we did an entire show on services with Sal Sagoyan, which is a sub menu of the shortcuts in the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole world in there. Um, What is cool in here is you can set custom shortcuts per app. So there's an app shortcuts section and you can add your own. And so how it works is you tell it, okay, when I'm in mail, I want to assign this keyboard shortcut to this menu item. And you have to name it. You have to name it exactly the same. So there's, you know, uh, a little ellipses at the end. You got to put the ellipses but you can build your own keyboard shortcuts. And so for instance, in notes, I added some to automatically create dashed or bulleted lists because that's something I do a lot and notes doesn't always do what I want it to do in that regard. So I just set up, okay, these are menu commands. They don't have their own keyboard shortcuts from Apple. I'm going to assign my own. If you're somebody like me where you use a lot of apps that are really complex, you know, like I use like, Logic, right? Logic has a thousand things in its menu items. And there are a couple that I need that don't have shortcuts. Well, like I couldn't use Logic without some of these changes because it gives me really quick access to something that otherwise I'd have to dig through a menu for several times a week. Agreed. Powerful. It's really, really good. I really wish they would enable, they would combine this in shortcuts for the Mac. I know it's not out yet, but... I want the ability to trigger specific menu selections with mm, a shortcut. That'd be awesome. Um, you know, you can do that with keyboard maestro, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of people don't want to go to that extra step. Yeah. So there's one under keyboard under shortcuts. If you go to the bottom, so the middle tab, use keyboard navigation to move focus between controls. I love that. That's another setting. It's like, why is that not turned on by default? So imagine you're working on your Mac and a dialog box comes up and you just want to cancel or hit okay. If you hit the tab key, you can move between them and then hit the return key to enter it. And it just it allows you to dismiss dialog boxes and move around controls. And it doesn't just work there. It also works like in the save dialog box and other places where you want to move around while keeping your hands on the keyboard. And uh, if you're somebody that gets annoyed every time you have to lift your fingers off the keyboard to go to a trackpad or mouse, you're going to love this. Turn it on. Yeah, it, it, it should be on by default. I agree. Yeah. And it's, it's intuitive. I mean, I think anybody, I think there's a lot of people that have Macs that would try hitting the tab key and say, oh, I guess that just doesn't work on the Mac. And no, it's there, but for some reason they've turned that off. But either way, uh, yeah, I agree. This is like really loaded. This is the one that if you haven't spent time in, you should, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of automation built in here. Um, it's also the place where you turn on dictation, which is turned off by default, but it's just a switch now. Yep. 
It used to require you to download a file, but you can just turn it on. And starting with Monterey, the timer is gone, so dictation is even more useful. Um, and you can, you know, set what the how you turn it on. You know what you used to use. I use the command key um, twice. If you just hit the command key twice, the right one. That's how I do it. But the um, uh, there's a bunch of stuff here, and it's all called keyboard. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. This is this one. It's like, well, like we we gave Sal a hard time about that when he's on the show. And of course, he's, you know, he said without saying, "Hey guys, I just came up with the software. I'm not in charge of the control panel. Leave me alone," you know. But the, uh, but my guess is that you know they just don't want to overload the system preferences with so many different icons. But you do get these weird conglomeration of tools. Like anytime you open up a system preference and it has one, two, it has five tabs across the top, you're like. Maybe this should have been two, you know, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, what about mouse and trackpad? What do you change on those? Well, I use a, a third-party mouse, and so the I don't think the mouse preference pane has much control over my Logitech mouse. Um, yeah. But on trackpad, I have the three-finger gesture for app expose, which, again, if I have multiple windows open to the yeah. same application, you can they can show me just those with a single swipe. Yeah. Um, and I have like show desktop, so spread with thumb and three fingers shows me my desktop. Uh, I do not have tap to click on, which I know is something that some people like and some people don't. Uh, I tend to be a kind of heavy finger dragger. I feel like I sort of like just slam my fingers on the trackpad. So with that on, I, I find that I, uh, am clicking all over the place accidentally. And so I have tap to yeah. click turned off. Yeah. So tap to click means you don't have to press the trackpad hard enough for it to actually click. You can just tap it without physically, you know, well, it, the, you know, the trackpads don't click anymore the way they're made, but you don't have to trigger the haptics. You don't have to press that hard to get things to work. And um, this made more sense back in the day when trackpads were actually on a physical hinge. Um, and the question with it, I mean, it makes it easier. Like if you do podcasts and you want to be quieter, um, although there's no hinge, so it's not loud anymore, but the, um, you can hit tab to click and you just barely tap it and it registers. But the problem with that is with your palms over the top of the trackpad on a laptop, you may suddenly find yourself tapping when you didn't Mm -hmm. intend to. And and those trackpads are huge, right? It's easy to run into them. Yeah, and th- that is turned off by default. I think that's the right default. And I know people that swear by it and love tap to click. But um, if this is new to you, I would recommend just turn it on for a few days and see how it goes for you. But I use all the gestures. I like, I love all the gestures. I've got them all under my fingers at this point. Not only do I love these gestures, I add a bunch more with better touch tools. So I think if you're going to use a trackpad, mm-hmm. you should play with all of these. They have nice little instructional videos right in the system preference to show you how it works, but like switching spaces and, you know, going to mission control and all that stuff I find useful. And macOS is clever enough. If you don't have a trackpad, you're not going to see the trackpad preference pane. Um, yeah. And both the trackpad and the uh, mouse preference pane, if you have a magic mouse set up, which I don't, you get little videos kind of showing you what the gestures look like. So if the show desktop gesture, if like spread with thumb and three fingers doesn't make sense, you get a little visual of it. If you hover over it, the video changes. And I think that's so clever because you see what the hand is doing and you see what happens on screen. I think it's a great way 
to demonstrate what that gesture would do if you turned it on? One of them allows you to show Launchpad. It's a pinch with a thumb and three fingers. Do you ever use Launchpad on your Mac? Nope, never. Yeah. I mean, once you kind of get into the Alfred or the Spotlight lifestyle, I feel like you don't find, you don't use this much. Uh, occasionally, like, there'll be an app where I just can't remember the name of the app. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, it has a yellow icon mm-hmm. and it does backup somehow. And like, I'll go into Launchpad just to see, to help me find it. But I mean, it it is almost never, I very rarely use this. Tempted to turn that one off. Yeah, yeah, I have that gesture off. Um, it's still available on my keyboard, but I don't, like I said, I don't ever go in there. Although that's a good use because I definitely sometimes have that same phenomenon as like, what app is that? And I can see the icon and I just go through my applications folder until I find it. But yeah. launch bar or launch pad would be a better way to do it. They're bigger and, you know. Yeah. The, the other thing I do when I set up a new Mac is um, I do a lot of work with like default file openings, like Markdown files are a good example. Like all the, a lot of the text related apps you install want to become the native Markdown file, you know, file. And it's almost whichever one you installed last gets that privilege, you know. And like I remember for a while, MindNode was opening for them for me. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just like <laughs> whatever you just installed last. So, so if you go into uh, what you do is you pick a markdown file or any, you know, a JPEG or whatever file format you're dealing with, just right click on a file and then go into the show information window. And there's actually a way to set the default for that file type on a specific app. Like I like to actually open Markdown files and drafts. And so once I set that in there, it does it for all app, all uh, Markdown files. But I think that's kind of a, a process of setting up a new Mac is getting your, your default file formats to mm-hmm. go to the places that they should be. Yeah. And like you said, if you install a new application, it may take over <laughs> your open with settings. It. And yeah, uh, so they, yeah. yeah, so that get, and, and that get info, uh, panel in Finder, you get it under the um, the file menu where you can hit Command I when a, a file or folder selected. It can also show you who has permissions to it, the size of it, and a couple of other different um, like metadata level type stuff. And so that getting info pane yeah. is um, can be pretty handy. Uh, it's sort of an obscure part of Finder, but one that is. Uh, pretty useful, I think, more than just open with, although certainly that's what I use it most for. Yeah. Um, another uh, preference, uh, see, I'm calling it a preference pane. See, this is this is hard because another system preference that I would recommend checking out is sharing. And of all the places, this is where you can rename your Mac. So, you know, if your <laughs> Mac says David's Mac 002, you know how sometimes it starts adding numbers to them? Um, you can go and remove those numbers or just rename it entirely. So next time you're doing any sort of sharing it, you know, your Mac appears with a name that you intended to give it. And that's done under the sharing tab. Mm -hmm. That problem where it adds digits to your Mac's name. Do you know what's causing that? Yeah. So it it can be a couple of things. One, it can be a side effect of a migration where it just adds a number (laughs) to the name the yeah. other thing is uh, if there's some sort of IP address conflict and it uh, the, it may say, oh, there's another machine with this exact name on the network or with the same address and I'm going to add a number to that to 
uh, make it make a difference on the network so you can tell which is which. There was a problem years yeah. ago where there was a bad Mac OS update and people got like up in like the teens and 20s <laughs> these names yeah. uh, because there was an issue with like the the Bonjour networking stuff. But um, generally it can be sort of a, a networking thing. Uh, I don't really come across it though very often. I haven't had it happen to me in a long time. So yeah, I occasionally see it still, but yeah. um, it's just... You know, it's easy enough to fix. Mm-hmm. Just go into the sharing menu. Yeah, and we we talked a lot about the sharing preference pane stuff back in our Mac Mini episode like three years ago. Um, but that's where you do all your file sharing, printer sharing. We need to get back to that at some point probably, but uh, that's all in there as well. Yeah, once the Mac Mini settles, I, I feel like we're going to get maybe a new form factor, hopefully, um, uh, as they make this transition. And then we'll come back and look at the Mac Mini again. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a lot of changes to the system preferences, but I think you need to, that's kind of what you need to do, man. You need to, to make it your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing we should probably just touch on is we've talked a lot about software changes, but if you are moving to a new computer or migrating, uh, there are other, some other considerations you may need to make things like, um, you know, if you're buying a new notebook, uh, how you carry it around, you know, cables, that sort of thing. Do you have any uh, any sort of go-to tips there? Yeah, just like if you are making a switch and you've had a Mac that all of a sudden is all USB-C, you need to think about your dongle situation. I know there are, I'm going to spark a forum battle when I say this, but in general, I just buy the Apple dongles. They're more expensive but I've just never had them not work. And every time I buy something off Amazon for, you know, like I had an Amazon HDMI and I went to give a presentation and it didn't work. And that, you know, I just feel like pay the extra to Apple on that, pay the Apple tax for that stuff. And with the USB-C charging that's happening on laptops now, if you're moving into one of those, um, USB-C chargers are super cheap. This kind of ties into what we're going to talk about more power users, but you know, because it's an open standard, the chargers and the cables are cheap. So you can easily afford to put multiple chargers around your house or office. Like I, I drilled a hole in the back of my nightstand and I have a USB-C cable in my drawer. So if I take the, the iPad or the laptop to bed and I just want to plug it in for the night, I can just open the drawer and plug it in. I also have one in my desk and I have one behind the couch. So um, you know, rethink your charging game if you're getting into one of these new Macs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I just have finally just bought USB-C versions of my most common cables yeah. just so I don't have to use adapters unless I really need to. So like when I hook up yeah. an audio interface, I'm just using USB-C now. Um, that took some time to do, but, you know, we're now really five years into this since the, you know, five or six years since the first USB-C Macs showed up. Yeah. And so... For me, I'm just using an adapter if I need to go out to video or, you know, something like a network cable. But plugging in something that's transferring data, I'm just using USB-C. Um, and, you know, the rumor is that we may get MagSafe back. So this may change yet again for charging, at least. Well, I think, though, if they did bring back MagSafe, I don't think they're going to disable USB-C charging. Yeah, I think I think and, so. I think you're right. Yeah. And I'm not worried about MagSafe when I've got my computer in a drawer charging. So, um, 
I, I think you'll still be able to benefit from this. And and there is a rumor that like we're going to get an HDMI port on a MacBook Pro. I mean, who knows if that's true or not? But I still think the fundamental unit of cable attachment to a Mac is going to be USB C for the you know for a while going forward. So just a you know lean into it. And like Steven said, a lot of the times you don't need adapters if the cable is going to something else. A lot of times now the cable just exists. Mm-hmm. But the adapters I was talking about, like it was for something like HDMI. Sure, like of course. Plugging into a projector. But yeah. I, I guess even then there's probably USB-C to HDMI cables. I just, I, I would prefer an adapter for that situation. But for most, you're right, just get the cables and you're good. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole, like we could do a show on, how how easy it is to buy the wrong USB C cable. So I'm <laughs> I don't want to do that show. T- I don't want to do know, it. <laughs> but I'm just I know I'm just going to tell you, just pay attention when you buy the cables. Make sure you get one that does mm-hmm. what you need it to do. Yeah. My sort of last thing here in terms of other considerations is just you know where the Mac's going to go if you're moving from one iMac to the next, you know, you're probably fine. You're just going to drop it into place. But with a notebook in particular, you know, if the size is different, you know, make sure that your laptop bag of choice will carry it. You know, that's that sort of thing can trip people up, um, especially if they're going to something a lot newer that may be a lot thinner. It may sort of bang around in your bag uh, and you may need to swap out sleeves or something. So that sort of stuff is sort of those knock-on effects. But are still things that you may need to consider if you're upgrading, especially if you haven't upgraded in a while. Yeah. We didn't even talk about software, but we've been talking about software a lot lately. You can probably guess the apps we use. If you really want to know, maybe we'll do some show where we fire off all the software, but, um, uh, you know, get your new Mac set up, get your system preferences in shape and go have fun with it. Before we go, I want to tell you about another show here on Relay FM, and that is Rocket. Rocket covers all the tech news of the week, but in a fun and wacky way. From the latest Apple news to companies that are actually scams and game consoles, everything in between, Rocket has you covered. Go to relay.fm slash rocket or search for Rocket wherever you get your podcast. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk dot macpowerusers.com thank you to our sponsors today memberful one password and electric and we'll see you next week